My name is Dr. John Ewart, and I'm the director of the Southeastern Center for Pastoral Leadership and Preaching. Welcome again to our Authenticity Series. This is where we take an, an honest look at the life of a real pastor. Uh, hopefully you've watched some of the other videos or participated in some of these events. This is where we take time to kind of talk about a topic in ministry that's just a real topic that pastors deal with, people in ministry deal with, and uh, we're glad that you could join us for this. Also, don't forget that on the website where you're seeing this video, there's also a downloadable packet that I'll refer to throughout uh, this event, and uh, a lot of good helps there that relate to the topic we're going to talk about uh, here um, tonight. Glad that we have some students here live with us, and that's always helpful to us, and we're going to interact some with them and, and uh, look forward to, to this time together. Make sure you check out the other videos, all the resources on the website. We're here to help you. Let us know how we can do that. If you have a great topic, email us sometime, and uh, we'll think about one of these series. We're going to do several of these coming up. We've got one on, uh, on church finances, you know, our, our finances in ministry, which is a big deal. How do you deal with that? I mean, you know, how do you deal with a budget? Uh, I know guys and gals who get called into ministry positions, and they've never really had to do that and suddenly have to deal with big-time budgets. So that's coming up, all kinds of subject matters. But tonight, this is a good one, very practical. But tonight, we're going to talk about the calling of God and the pastoral search process. How do you know when God has called you to ministry? And then how do you know when you're supposed to go or not go to certain places? And just kind of what does that process look like? So in this packet, we have kind of two sections. There's a packet for the candidate, and there's also a packet for the church. You may be watching this in your churches in a, a search process for a pastor or staff member. And so there are helps in here, questionnaires, reference forms, things to be prepared for, kind of a, even an outline for a training workshop for your pastor search team or whatever the search team is for. And um, so a lot of good helps in here. We'll walk through that and kind of talk about that. I'm really excited. My friend is here, Dennis Darville, Pastor Pastor Dennis Darville. Uh, Dennis Darville was here at Southeastern with us full-time for many years as a vice president. He was our vice president for institutional advancement. He, he was in charge of everything from communications to, to uh, kind of the financial support of the institution and oversaw a lot of our offices and one of my bosses and, and uh, did a great job for us. God called him away to go uh, full-time at First Baptist Church, Rocky Mount, North Carolina, America, as the pastor of uh, preaching and leadership there. So, uh, and you've been there over three years now, you were just telling yeah, me. Next month. Yeah, uh, that's hard to that's believe. Right. It, it really seems like late yesterday, and we're, we're limping along, but uh, we're, we're thankful that yeah, God's right. gracious right. to us. But, but I've, asked, uh, I've asked Dennis to join me tonight for this, especially because Dennis has a, has a really unique background, too. For years, Dennis was in business, pretty high-level business, uh, worked with several high-level companies and, and positions of, of leadership. And so he, I'm going to be asking him questions to kind of think in terms of when you're walking through some of these processes, what he's seen on the business side of things, like how do you present yourself in an interview, those kinds of questions, as well as on the church side, uh, just kind of walk through some practical things. Let me tell you why I'm invested in this one tonight. Uh, I, I spent over 20 years as a local church pastor and also, I was a missionary church planter, and, and over the years, uh, God was gracious to us, and some of the churches where we served were growing. <laughs> and because of that, over the years, I've dealt with, uh, personally, dealt with 26 pastor search committees uh, who were after me uh, in one shape or another. And so I have a huge file of uh, search committee issues and 
uh, saved some of the good things, saved some of the bad things, learned some lessons, some hilarious stories, as well as some incredible people. And it was, it was easy to identify a really good process because some of them weren't. And so I remember one time I, I got a phone call one night, it was late at night, and I was in my kitchen and I was pastoring a church and God was being gracious to us and doing some good things there. My phone rang and it was an elderly man. You could tell he was older. And I was younger then, had, had hair and it was dark. It's amazing. And, uh, and he said, uh, he said uh, Brother John? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you want to be our pastor? <laughs> and I said, well, I said, who are you? <laughs> and he said, well, my name's such and such, and I'm from such and such church. And I knew the church. It was, it was uh, about two hours away or whatever in a big city. And, and, I, and he says, uh, yeah, we just want to know if you want to come be our pastor. And I said, well, right now? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, well, yeah, we're pretty well settled that we think you're it. And I'm like, okay. I said, uh, have we ever met? You know, and no. No, we'd never met. And I said, well, normally perhaps we would talk and, and pray a little bit and, and walk through some questions together. Oh, well, if that's what you think we need to do, well, I guess we can do that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I could have said yes right then, packed the, packed the U-Haul and gone someplace. And it's been interesting. And I've gone from that to the, to the you're one of, you know, 250, you know, work through a process and kind of a dog and pony show sometimes, you know, and. There's a great article in an old, old magazine uh, for search committees that says don't, don't have a preaching contest, you know, but you never know what you get into. So. But before we get into those processes, let's talk a little bit about calling. Let's talk a little bit about calling to ministry and, and what does that look like. There's, there's really a lot of opinion out there about this, about whether there really is a calling to ministry or not even. And, and what, is that, what is that like? I was, Dr. Aiken was talking about this the other day in a a meeting here on campus. Um, this is actually being recorded in the spring of 2015, so it was interesting the other day. But uh, but I, I know my own experiences in that. Um, Dennis, why don't you just kind of share testimony, you know, a testimony a little bit about, about especially in your life, you transitioned from this business background and, and you were in that for years. How did God pull you back out of that and pull you into a ministry kind of context? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's yep. really, really good to see you again, and hello to everybody out there. Um, briefly, born and raised in the Southern Baptist Church and uh, knew about the things of God but didn't, didn't know God. Um, and that's fairly typical, uh, you know, at least in my generation. And then in the summer of 78, uh, I was actually on a golf course and I was in a high-stakes gambling match. I didn't know Christ. Were you winning? I actually had a 12-footer, and it was... Uh, this right guy's to, a great golfer, by the way. And it was... Uh, it was No, I actually lost a lot of money that day. <laughs> and, he worked for a, a really large golf company at one point in his life. So uh, I looked up, and there was a gentleman parked about 100 yards away, and he was a childhood friend. And he had come to know Christ, and he had felt compelled to come back to our hometown um, to tell me about that. And so... Over the next few months, he was um, unrelenting. He just was not going to stop until, you know, I came to Christ. Well, as it turns out, I did. Summer of 78, I came to Christ. And, and, and while I didn't know anything about how to read the Scriptures or anything about calling, uh, it was, all, it was in within the next few weeks and months that it just became irresistibly clear that I would not spend the rest of my life 
uh, in my father's business. I have an older brother who's a Ph.D. in finance, teaches at a small Baptist college. Um, and so it was my place to take my father's business, and I was in business with him uh, for almost three years. I, my dad and I are very close, uh, but it was just, call it intuition, call it a mystical experience, call it, I wouldn't have been educated enough to talk about what was going on in my soul, but I knew that I wasn't going to do this, and I felt it had something to do with preaching the gospel. And uh, so I walked into my dad's office, who was behind the desk, he had a big cigar in his mouth, and I started telling him about my conversion to Christ. And uh, he said, son, I'm, I'm concerned about you. Twitch. I said, you're concerned about me now? I mean, you you, you, you got to be kidding me. You've known what I've been up to. So he said, shut the door. I got up and I shut the door. And when I turned around, my father was on his knees behind his desk and he was weeping. He said, son, I, I need to get right with God. Would you pray for me? And I didn't know anything about laying on of hands, but just, he was there. So I put yep, my hand on his sure, left shoulder sure. and prayed for him. And my dad got up a, a saved man. Wow. And he's never, he's never turned back. And then I eventually led my mom to Christ, my older brother to Christ, two younger sisters to Christ. And so, um, you know, I sold my house. I broke off an engagement. I was six months away from getting married and uh, packed my belongings, which in- included my new Bible, a suitcase, and my golf clubs. Wasn't going to leave the golf clubs. And uh, moved away and was going to spend the rest of my life in ministry. Well, <laughs> long story short, I spent the next, next 12 years planning churches with no theological education, I might add, just with a Bible, with Jesus in my heart, knowing that people needed to hear about Christ. And so I spent the next 12 years of my life uh, planting churches on university campuses. Started at Mississippi State, moved to the University of Georgia, met my wife there. Uh, Then we went, we moved to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, planted a church there in 1981, stayed until 83, moved to Houston, planted another church. So the first 12 years of my life, um, and I'd been a philosophy major in college, um, and I loved apologetics, so the campus context was just mm. perfect. So I was a church planner, so I had no experience with a search committee calling me mm-hmm. because I was building these these churches by God's grace from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my original experience with right. the calling, and right. I can fill in as we go. Right. You know, mine was quite a bit different just because I did not grow up in church. And so I had a a fairly radical salvation experience and then uh, almost immediate sense of calling into uh, vocational service for him. I didn't understand it. I I never identified it at that point necessarily as I'm called to be a pastor or I'm called to preach. And over the years, I, I was proven right in the sense of just the way the varied ministry opportunities have come over the years. But but uh, it's interesting in in the packet you know there's a couple of pages here that we put in there one is how to determine the will of god for your life so you can definitively just figure it out read this piece of paper it's all right there and then you got it all figured out um <laughs> and then the other one's about calling and just some scripture references and some scripture passages biblical examples of people that god called out like abraham and moses and others how god called them out and in a way for you to think through that um and uh and I do believe, you know, as I think through this, that there is a sense of calling in life. And, and part of this search process, part of these transitional processes, uh, you know, are what is it that God wants me to do now in this chapter of my life? And, and obviously, you know, prayer and study the word are, are incredibly important. And, and if you're not already in them, 
then your sensitivity to what God wants you to do is going to be so dulled that it's going to be hard for you to see that. Uh, there's, an old, there's an old kind of cheesy, and I was just going to read this to you. There's an old kind of cheesy thing that it, I don't remember who told me this years ago, but I, I, I'm giving it to you all in the packet, and you can take it or leave it. I'm sure that I'm plagiarizing somebody. I don't know who it is, so I apologize now. I give full credit to what whoever first did this, although you may not want to give credit to them. But it basically just spells out call. But this is what Dr. Aiken was kind of sharing, not this, but similar. And it basically says confirmation by God and others, uh, abilities to do the work, longing to do ministry in a lifestyle of integrity. And, uh, and this idea that in my life, I, I had this real sense that God wanted me to do this. I'd, I, w- I never vocalized that in the beginning. And then I had people out of the blue come to me and talk to me about uh, I could really see you preaching. I could really see you in ministry. I, you know, I can see you doing this. And it was amazing how those things came together. Uh, and, then, uh, and then the ability to do it. I, I, I've, in seminary life and in practical life, there are some practical stuff, skill sets that, that are involved in, in various... I mean, if you're going to preach, you, you might need to know how to speak a little and preach some. Um, and then just this lifestyle of integrity, which I think, I think was the key. I think the key is, is that I'm so engaged in this first relationship with God, this, this, this loving relationship with him, that, 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 that sensitivity is there to where when he, when he says go, like an Abraham or a Moses or a Paul or whoever, you know who it is talking to you, and you're able to move forward. Some of that gets kind of subjective. But I don't know. What do you think about some of that? Well, my, my experience is similar to you in that way. When, when I first sense to call, and I wouldn't have known to say it's a call to ministry. Uh, I just knew I had this irresistible desire that I could not suppress, I couldn't ignore, uh, I couldn't avoid it, and quite frankly, I didn't want to. Uh, but I didn't know about anything about going to a church to preach. I had simply stumbled on Acts 17 with Paul at Mars Hill, mm-hmm. and just watching you know, Jesus in the Gospels preach to whomever on the seashore, I just thought, I'll, well, what the heck? I'll just take the Bible and go preach to people. And so I started open-air preaching on all these university campuses. Um, and so, you know, so you're that guy. I, well, yeah, I'm, I down was that guy. And down fact, by the we, fountain. Yeah. We've started open-air preaching again <laughs> over in Rocky Mountain. It's really a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would love to spend some time on that because I'm, I'm absolutely convinced we have forgotten that the gospel doesn't nearly or, or only or merely need to be preached on Sunday mornings to those who already believe, but we need to preach the gospel to those who would never darken the door of the church. Mm-hmm. And that's not simply one-on-one evangelism, although that applies, or doing apologetics. But taking the gospel back to the streets is incredibly important to me. So I, it's a little funny thing. You know, I, when I finally did get a church planted and we started, I started preaching, we would record those sermons. And year after year, I'd go home to see my parents at Christmas or whatever, and my mom was saving all my sermons on the old cassettes and Tupperware, you know, big Tupperware yeah. things, and and um, hundreds of them over 12 years of ministry, you know, and I'm a young guy, and one year I came home, and um, they were all gone. I said, where are they? She said, I, I decided to destroy the incriminating evidence. You know? <laughs> so all my, all these early, and I'm, I'm so thankful, you know, yeah. that I don't, would yeah. never have to go back and listen to them. Here, here's what I would say about calling. I, I have a unique perspective on it, I think, uh, because when I first responded, it was simply, I've got to go do this. I, I just have to go do this. 
And I really wasn't trained. Mm-hmm. I just did it. I wish I could rewind the tape and start my seminary life over as a 22-year-old man, but I didn't. Well, then by the time 1990 rolls around, I'm in Houston, Texas. I'm married with two children. And the ministry I'm a part of, which is a worldwide ministry at the time, planting churches in a university context, was just going a direction that I felt like I couldn't go. And there were a lot of things going on. And so Leanne and I, my wife and I, had to make some really tough decisions about what am I going to do now? Two children, um, all I've ever known are campus ministry, planting churches. This is how I make my living. This is how I provide for my family. And now I'm wondering, what am I going to do for the next chapter of my life? And um, I'm burned out, quite frankly. I'm discouraged. Um, I'm tired. I'm weary. This is 1990, and I'm still a relatively young man. I've been going hard at it for years by this point. And I made a, a very, very pivotal decision about my life. I was actually, I got on a plane in, at Houston Hobby Airport. And I was flying to the Raleigh-Durham airport, and I was going to do an apologetics three-nighter deal at Duke. And they had a club over there called the Cambridge Club, and I was going to do my best C.S. Lewis impersonation, you know, or something <laughs> like that, and uh, which would have been really bad, but that's what I was going to try to do. And I sat down on the plane next to a gentleman, and I'm sitting here. He gets on the plane, and as soon as I, I see him, I realize this guy's a golfer. And so we started talking golf. Turns out he loved the Lord. And he was the senior vice president of a major uh, agency that managed PGA Tour players. Mm. But they were all Christian guys. It was Cornerstone Sports Incorporated. And uh, they were sort of the Christian version of IMG, Mark McCormick, the whole deal. We get off the plane at RDU. He says, because I told him my whole story that I was leaving the pastorate. And and now I have his wife and kids, and I I needed a job. And I had grown up playing golf. He gets on a phone, calls a guy in Los Angeles, California. A gentleman's name was Dennis Aiden. Um, and Dennis gets me on the phone. Two weeks later, I fly to Los Angeles. He hires me. I'm in the golf business. Uh, I spent a few years just schlepping golf clubs and apparel around Texas right. and Louisiana. And next thing you know, I'm in management. Next thing you know, 12 years later, I wake up and... I am now, now I'm a vice president of a major golf company, and I have, this is where it comes to bear on this search process, I have interviewed and hired hundreds of young men and women to bring them into the golf industry for jobs. And so being on this side and watching people trying to convince me or to tell me that they're qualified and that they can do this job, I learned an enormous amount, I I think mostly intuitively, simply what it is people are looking for right. when they're interviewing you. Right. Um, and so just to fast forward quickly, um, nine, uh, 2001, post 9-11, leave three million things out. Uh, I wake up and realize I don't want to do this anymore, and I'm on the wrong road. Um, I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing this. At this point, I'm about 45 years of age, thereabouts, I think. And... I go wake my wife up Saturday morning, drinking coffee. I said, sweetie, I don't want to do this anymore. There's a Southern Baptist Seminary in Wake Forest. I think I'm going to drive up there Monday morning. What do you think about starting over? 
she's rubbing the sleep out of her eyes. What? 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 You know? What? I said, "Hun, I we're on the wrong road. I've been on the wrong road for twelve years, and I know it." So, what do you think about that? She said, "I've just been waiting on you for twelve years." Is that right? And so uh, I said, "I don't think you understand." I said, "If I go to, because I'm I'm not very good at multitasking. If I do something, I have to, I have to focus." And um, and so I said, "I don't know if you understand, I said, sweetie. If I, if if I walk away from the golf industry and come to Southeastern, we're just going to jump in. We're just going to jump in. It's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us our home, our country club membership, that that Porsche I got sitting in the driveway." Uh, it's going to cost us everything. I had a daughter in college. I had a son about to go to college. And she said, no, I think I do understand. She said, you know as well as I do, I manage money better than you do. <laughs> so, uh, and she does. She's a much better money manager. And she was totally supportive. I would say that's one major, if you're married mm. or you're getting close to getting married and you feel called to the ministry and your significant other or your bride doesn't see it, you better put on the brakes pretty quickly uh, so I came up here, and that's exactly what I did. It's a wonderful story, but I dove in, and we've never looked back. Wow, that's great. You know, and you know, and one of the exciting things about calling, and I want to be careful to say this out loud, just to to make sure that we're clear. Um, you know, calling to ministry isn't necessarily a more significant calling than calling to other things. I, I have a brother who's a medical doctor who became a believer later in life, and. And he really believes God called him to be a doctor and ministry that way. So our theology of work, I want it to be holistic enough to believe that, that I, I, think you're, I think your lay people in churches are called just as much as I'm called. It's just a different calling. But it is a different calling. And there are specific things that the calling to ministry would have that, that, that are, are helpful to know about. And, and that confirmation from others, the, the, some of these abilities, skill sets. Um, you know, there's, a, there's, that old, there's that old saying, you got to have the, uh, the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the height of a rhino to be in ministry. And, and you know, there's certain temperament, personalities that, that are helpful in ministry life. And so, uh, but it's interesting because how, how do you know, how do you know I'm supposed to leave this church and go to that church? How do I know that I'm supposed to transition from this kind of ministry to that kind of ministry within the context of of those callings and and sometimes that can be kind of kind of gray and not so black and white because it's not like there's a good choice and a bad choice and you have to really work through your time with God the impressions from others as well as from the Holy Spirit and I know that sounds awfully subjective but I don't know how else to say that and then and then circumstances and 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 what God is share, sharing with you and over the years we've had to make those calls many times um, you know, to and, and certainly in, even in your life, as you just mentioned, in mine too, you, you can't make those based on finances. Um, you know, I don't know how many pay cuts I've taken over the years, you know, to go to where God wanted us to be. Uh, but that sense of peace. And for me, let me just, this is the, a subjective thing. But for me, a lot of times what happens, God moves my heart. I mean, he just does to where I, I I know that I'm not supposed to be here anymore. I'm supposed to be there, whatever wherever there is, uh, and and it gets kind of quirky and it, it gets very personal for me. I I need to go there physically. Uh, every t- <laughs> Teresa says you gotta go stand in the parking lot, don't you? I go yeah, I gotta go stand in the parking lot, and and wherever whatever church we might be talking to, you know I've got to go stand in that parking lot, and I, I and it's just you know I've got to kind of catch this vision of what God wants to do in that place. I mean when we transitioned from a church that was really. Uh, doing some things and was being written up by some people and then featured in some research and some books to go plant churches in northern Arizona, you know, a lot of folks thought I was crazy, 
and I've never denied that. But uh, but when we were out there in Prescott, there wasn't any quite This is where we're supposed to be. And then to leave that to come into seminary life, which was never a goal of mine. Uh, I've worked at two seminaries now, and and uh, to, for that transition to happen, I'm still trying to figure that out after about 10 years of that. But so it's interesting, and and so you you need to work through those and. What, what I what I what I think's interesting though about the, what we're talking about here is you have this weird dynamic especially in Baptist life because we're not hierarchical you don't get placed in a church by a bishop you you don't you know I I was in uh, I was in a I was in Cuba a, a few years ago one of the international partnerships we have and I was attending a graduation of the seminary in Cuba and there and this is partly because of the government there the Baptist convention and the seminary, you have to be a graduate of the seminary in order to pastor a church. And at the graduation, you're also ordained and you're assigned to a church. And so all these churches have representatives at graduation because they don't know if they're getting a pastor or not. And so while they're there at graduation, they're watching, and then when they get announced, they just go, you know, they celebrate because we finally have a pastor, we finally have a pastor. And it was interesting to walk through this graduation, ordination, and church placement experience all within, you know, in about a five-hour experience in about 110-degree heat in full suit and tie. And so, I wooden pews. But anyway, so we're walking through that, but it was, and you know, we don't do that. And so the whole idea of the Southern Baptist pastor or ministerial search process, it's just an odd animal. Um, I have relatives who come from mainline ecumenical denominations where they have a hard time. But, of course, we, we know it's based on our autonomy, we, you know, the, the independence of each church, the ability for each church to make a decision. So part of what I want to talk about is how do we walk through that. And so in this packet, the first part of the packet is really for the church, and there, there's kind of a there's kind of a, an outline of what a search committee might want to do. There are actual questionnaires. Uh, there's a sample questionnaire. It's quite thorough. Now recognize that the questionnaire that's in this packet it's a real questionnaire from a real church. That church has plurality of elders, and so the polity shows up in that questionnaire. So if that's not the polity in the church where you might be serving who needs a questionnaire, then you'll want to uh, you know you got to edit that a little bit. But then there's also reference questionnaires. But then there's, there's this section for the candidate. I want us to spend a little time there first to make sure we have time for that. How do I do this well? How do I present myself well but without being egotistical, arrogant? But, and yet I've got to write a resume. I've got to go through interviews. You know, I mean, how do I do this in a way that, uh, that, uh, that uh, is going to be godly and at the same time will help me to understand where I'm supposed to be and not go crazy? There, there are two major ways that churches do this in Southern Baptist life. You have the church that takes in all the resumes, and then they work through various levels of cuts until they get down to the top candidate. And so you're one of blank, then you're one of blank, and then you know, and in each phase they're going to ask more information from you. You know, we now want to interview you. We now want uh, to watch sermons, or we now want to do a face-to-face, and finally you're down to the one. Other churches start off with just the one, and they're going to pursue that one until that one is or not, and then they'll go to the next. Uh, They've gone through some other cut processes, obviously, to get to that place, but you're not necessarily aware of that, and you're not part of that. First time, you know, you're you're kind of the guy. The first one's more common, uh, where you work through... Uh, and like I say, I'm walking through this right now with a church uh, as an interim pastor, and they're working through that process. And so 
the way that committees communicate and the way they do this process is crucial. And over the years, like I say, I've experienced this with various churches. Some did a great job. They told me exactly what was happening. I got, I got communication on a regular basis. They were sharp, professional people. They knew what they were doing. And, and, and I was at ease in this. Even, even when I didn't end up going and I knew I wasn't going, it was really nice to have that communication. So one of the things I just want to say to the church is you cannot over-communicate in these situations. Communicate, 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 communicate. Tell the candidates what, because you're messing with people's lives. And you've got this guy out here and his wife and his family, and he probably can't contain himself, and he's already told too many people that he's talking to you, you know, because confidentiality's out the wind in his life, and he's, he's so excited. And the problem is then, you know, if he doesn't know, I'd say, what are we going, you know, what are we, what's happening, what's not happening? You know, I hadn't heard from him. And, uh, and so communicate. But let's talk about the candidate for a second. Let's talk about some do's and don'ts. Don'ts. Um, from resumes to interviews. Um, what would you say? Let's go interview kind of thing. You're, you're meeting, either Skyping, you're calling, you're meeting them face-to-face, whatever it is. Over the years, you've, you've seen a lot of this. Business world, church world. If I were to ask you, name some don'ts in an interview, what would you, can you pop up some of those? Yeah, quickly, uh, and, and before I answer, just because I want to make sure you all know this, uh, you and I'm sure you do, Spurgeon's got some really great work on that notion of calling. Yeah. And you've, you actually referenced it, and the things you mentioned are the things that, that Charles Haddon Spurgeon's going to. I'm with you on this. I think the call to ministry um, is in some ways not unlike other callings, to be doctors, journalists, engineers. But in another way, in a diff- different way, the calling to ministry is very specific. Yeah, it's very unique. And, it, and it, there is a subjective element to it, and you've got to know it, and it needs to be affirmed by others. I'd also recommend, uh, it's a f- wonderful book, simply called The Call mm-hmm. by Os Guinness. Yeah. And he opens that book with something fascinating. He, he came to Christ under Francis Schaeffer, if you know the Schaeffer name. We have the archives here, the personal library and all. Um, he says the greatest, I think I'm going to paraphrase this, the greatest day of his life was the day he realized he was not called to ministry. Yeah. And he goes on to get a Ph.D. in sociology, and he's become, from the Christian world and life view, one of the greatest and finest, if not the finest, social critics through the lens of a Judeo-Christian world and life view uh, that this generation clearly has seen. And so I'm so grateful because he was really wrestling, do I? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, calling it. So I actually some quote don't. him. I actually quote him in the packet from this book. Let me read this quote since we're right there. Let me read this yeah. quote real quickly. It says, "Calling is the truth that God calls us unto Himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to His summons and service. It's like I don't have a choice at that point." So, I just on a personal note, to just a quick addendum to my previous comments. I've had, it's it's both the privilege and the pain of responding early on as a young man to the call of ministry and then walking away from it for almost 12 years and living outside of what God had created me to do and redeemed me to do. So I, I uh, tongue-in-cheek say I, I lived on my own Jonah boat for a dozen years, thereabouts. And, and while the money was great, and lots of free golf all over the place. I was I was just as empty as you could possibly be. Uh, it was only when I came back, um, when I just 
couldn't stiff arm Jesus anymore. Um, and you know, I, I when I came back, it was quite frankly, and we won't drill down into it, but just as a word of encouragement to you and to those that are watching by video, um, be careful. The, one of the greatest enemies in the ministry is discouragement. And in 1990, I literally left my calling because I was that discouraged. And I was not surrounded by men that would have held me accountable, these kinds of things. And it cost me 12 years of my life. Uh, but coming back, I had no idea what that was going to look like. Uh, I felt like I had disqualified myself in many ways. And so I came back here. I didn't know what coming to seminary as a 46-year-old man was going to mean. Uh, after all those years, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I ended up staying here for almost 12 years. I think it was 11 years, you know. Best 11 years of my life. And I, and I will echo uh, Dr. Ewart. The two best decades of my life were synonymous with the two poorest decades of my <laughs> yeah. life. Yeah, Money, you know, money doesn't Yeah, matter. yeah, yeah. It really you doesn't. You just got to get over that. So ministry, you know, is... It was just it's just wonderful now now I'm, I'm back and I did go while I was here I did a lot of interim work and they were fun because you get to pray and prep and go preach and love on people and then you get to go home you know and then you show back up and 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 this will sound a little uh, self-serving and I don't mean it to but uh, I think every church I interimed over those many years they would invariably say would you come be our pastor mm. And so I went through a lot of search committee processes, um, and, I, and I said no every time. And so I would say this to you guys. Um, the interviewing process, both for those who are uh, doing this, the church search piece, doing the interviewing, and the interviewee, uh, when I was doing the interviewing with these search committees, they were interviewing me, but I was interviewing them as well. Right. It works both ways. The last thing you want to do, the single last thing you want to do, is because you need a job, just say, yeah, and convince this search committee, you need to hire me. And, you know, back all those years in the golf industry, I, I, you know, I learned to be pretty persuasive in sales. So I've got that knack. But I also had enough fear of God on me to know, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going to convince this committee to hire me if I don't really sense this is where Christ wants me. Right. Would, you, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, a real-life experience here recently is uh, a candidate was basically his answer as to why would you leave your current place of ministry to consider coming here on a questionnaire was, was basically because my wife uh, works, and we'd like to make enough money for her to stay at home, and so I'd like to make more money. <laughs> Uh, that immediately got him out of a pile. Uh, more money is not a good reason to do anything, you know. And so I appreciate the, I appreciate the honesty, and I, 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 and I understand, especially some of you students and others who might be watching it, you, you might really need some money. I mean, you might be really kind of ramen noodled out. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it's not, it's not worth it. God, God will provide in other ways. So, so here we are in this process. And so what, what a church has done, and these are, these are outlined in here, um, uh, kind of a process. The church has, has weeded through. You're now at this point of some kind of interview. They've seen your resumes. I'm going to come back to resumes toward the end. But you're, you're in this interview process. One of the things that I'd say to you is this. Pay really close attention to the first question they ask you. 
there's priority in some of these orders because they recognize they have a limited amount of time. And learn from them. Pay attention. I have a list in this packet, uh, at least two pages worth of questions I ask search committees. Because as Dennis said, this is a two-way street. One of the most frustrating experiences, real experiences I had in the process was they're grilling me for about an hour, and then they're ready to go home. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And then I pull out my scroll, and I'm like, you know, I have a few things I need to find out. And they value that, don't they? They should. If they didn't, then we probably didn't stay together long. But, yeah, because if you don't do your homework, you're, you're not being very wise. And, and in this document I'm giving you with these lists of questions, these aren't perfect questions. You, and, and I wouldn't ask all of these questions in any committee unless you have a five-hour interview. But um, eventually I'd ask them at the church. But you need to prioritize these. But there's also a list of things I ask for. I, I want to see a church constitution and bylaws. I want to see your personnel policies. I want to see some of these documents. And I ask for those things early uh, in these processes. I, and they're all listed here in these documents for you. But these are things I want to read. I want to read about. And I tell you, I ask questions like this. Does this committee actually represent this congregation? Uh, and, of course, they're always going to say yes. And then I'm also going to ask them, do, does this church really want to grow? And they're always going to say yes. And I always say this, because I'm an evangelism missions guy, you know, but I'm always going to say, good, I'm going to hold you to that. And about six months from now, we're going to have another meeting. And, and I'm going to remind you, you said that, you know. And, and then the other thing I always do is, is there any other thing I need to know that you haven't told me? Because I'm going to hold them to that later. Because I've had committees not necessarily completely divulge everything. I had one situation to where they wanted me to come out to be the senior pastor, and there was a, a, an associate pastor there. And it was really interesting because it, it, it's like for some reason they weren't allowing me access to the staff. And I'm meeting with this committee, and I'm like, oh, you know, there's this multi-staff over here. And I'm like, when, when do I get to meet with them? And it was almost like, oh, you want to meet with them? Well, of course I want to meet with them. Why would I not meet with them? And, and finally, I finally get a chaperoned meeting with this guy. A member of the search committee had to be there with me. And, and well, there's a reason. And, and this guy just goes off on me. And the whole idea was, and so later I confront the committee, and they say, yeah, we were kind of hoping that wouldn't happen. We were kind of hoping we could get you out here, and then you could fire him for us. And I'm just like, dude, you know, let's take care of that first because, you know, I don't need to come out here and immediately be the bad guy. You asked me a minute ago what some of the things you don't do. So let's say a church has contacted you, and you're going for your first face-to-face -face interview. Uh, this is a pet peeve of mine. It's still a pet peeve of mine. Don't be late. Don't even give yourself a chance to be late. If the meeting is at 7 o'clock at night, they've been working all day because uh, these people have jobs, right, and they're now serving their church, and they're going to set up a time and a place, and you're supposed to be there at 7, and you didn't allow for time. You didn't do your due diligence. What about traffic? What about if I have a, a flat? All those excuses won't fly very well. Make sure you plan to be there early, 30 minutes early, whatever it takes to be there. Uh, be properly dressed. And, and ask them how, what that is. At, just, so, just do it. Ask them, how are we going to be dressed? The, these days, I know casual, tonight we're casual, I, but the, one of the first questions I ask you is, what's the appropriate attire? Right. And you said casual. Right. Um, 
So, for instance, my wife's birthday was yesterday. I'm taking her to dinner with my son and some friends tomorrow night. I called the restaurant. First, the, after I made the reservation, my next question was, what's the appropriate attire? If this church is a casual kind of church and you show up suit and tie, probably not a good synergy. If they're a suit and tie or whatever, sport coat and tie, and you show up in, you know, cargoes and, and just not appropriately um, attired, it says something. You're, you're, you're saying something without your... I know this might seem like overly practical issues, but they're incredibly important. Uh, respectful. If uh, I'm, I'm a little bit old school, I think it would be fair to say I'm 58 But a lot of the search year. committees will be too. So uh, the search committee that I went through when I uh, just had the great privilege of now being the lead pastor at First Baptist Church Rocky Mount, it was men and women, and it was across all age stratus, 80 all the way down into the probably the youngest was maybe 30s, yeah, 30s. Um, and so how I addressed, you know, an older lady, it's appropriate, you know. Uh, one, of, one, of my, one of the things that irritated me to no end, and this might just be me, uh, when I got here, uh, I have students that are much younger than my, my own children, right? Mm-hmm. And not the, the title of vice president necessarily meant anything. I mean, nobody really cares except my mother, right? I mean, right. her son's done I, something I with his life. So, you didn't yeah. care. I know you didn't care. Uh, but for a 17-year-old to say, hey, dude, yeah, <laughs> there's just something inappropriate about a 17-year-old talking to a, a at the time, 55-year-old man, hey, dude. I had a student call me John in class the other day. It just, it's, it's, he did it once. It's, yeah, right. It's just not right, you know. Um, and so do, even if you're up in age, there's just a decorum. There's a way to conduct yourself. Uh, I would say another major don't, and I'm just shooting from the hip here, is especially if you're fresh out of seminary, and now you're loaded for bear because you've got all the theological Leave jargon. The bear at home, man. Yeah, you've got all the special terms you can talk about epistemological issues, the doctrine of revelation, soteriological issues. Let's talk about eschatology. You're starting to throw terms at them. And I, one, one of the things I learned early on is the Baptist pew um, theological terms are largely foreign to them. Mm-hmm. You know, to be gracious and stay humble, uh, to go in and be kind and respectful. Don't go in there popping off about all you know just because you've spent three years at a seminary. Um, quite frankly, I'm, and this is not directed at anybody, but let's say you're 27 years old, 25 years old, and you're fresh out of seminary, and you're meeting with a search committee, and the, most of the people in that search committee old enough to be your parents and your grandparents. And you've never run a corporation. You've never run a church. Uh, you've never given shepherding care, leadership uh, to what it goes. They've been reading their Bible since before you were born. Uh, they walk with Christ. They know God. They deserve to be respected. They've forgotten more than you know, even if you do know Grudem's textbooks or John Frame's textbook, you know, f- backwards. Uh, if you if you really want to be considered, and this is, then you go in and you honor them. You honor, give honor where honors do. Um, 
And so even as a 50-year-old man, when I went to this search committee three years ago, I had, I had a un- unique situation in that I went through an interview process with this search committee just to do their interim. Right. And they took me through the ringer. They asked a lot of questions. Uh, and there were three men being considered, and I was one. And quite frankly, I was less credentialed than the other two. Um, in terms of academia, mm-hmm. I had I have my masters. These other two gentlemen had their their PhDs, and they were just looking for an interim. And you know, by, in God's sovereign grace, you know, they said, "Would you come be our interim?" But the interim for this church was not just come preach for us on Sunday. We want you to lead our meetings on Wednesday night, Sunday. We want you to lead our staff meetings on Tuesday morning. And. And I, now I've got a full-time job here, and so I, you know, I got permission to do all that, mm-hmm. and so I'm doing that. It was the first year and a half was fantastic, because I actually got to know a very large and sizable staff, and they're still with me today, uh, other than my worship pastor who passed away unexpectedly just a few weeks back. Um, and so I had preached for this church for a year and a half, and they still called me. Right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But, but I always say heart beats head in an interview. Now, I don't mean to be dumb, but I tell you what these, what these folks are going because I've just experienced this this week. In fact, two nights ago, I was in a pastor search committee meeting by Skype. They weren't interviewing, but they were discussing resumes and questionnaires that had been turned in. And it was interesting because they were so turned off by people who sounded arrogant. It was amazing how that was such a big... And I, I wasn't... I was just listening. All I was just listening. They were so turned off with people who came across as arrogant, and they were so turned off with people who were trying to be funny on a professional, serious questionnaire. It was amazing to me how that got to them. And so they wanted serious answers, but but they also wanted answers. In fact, they had to ask me some questions. What does this mean? And he would... People were throwing out these deep theological phrases, and you could tell... That and I don't know. I have no idea. I've not looked at a single resume. I have no, I'm not going to. It's not my job. It's their job. But so I don't have a clue who any of the candidates are. I don't know any of that. Uh, I don't look at resumes. I haven't looked at any questionnaires. I helped them form them in the beginning, and that was it. But but when they were talking about it, and they were so turned off by that 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 person immediately was just kind of on the bottom of a pile for them. And so what they want to see is they want to see you. They want to know you. They want to know your heart because they, they, right. they're going to – I mean, he, the bottom line is this. After they do a questionnaire and they've checked your resume, they're going to assume that you, you know stuff. Uh, you know, they're going to assume that you're fairly smart. That's not, that's not what you need to show them in an interview. What you need to show them in an interview is you're going to love them. And they need to see that you can love and shepherd and you're going to be a, a great leader for them and somebody – and so chemistry matters. Chemistry matters in these interviews. And so it's okay to, to be humorous in an interview if it's appropriate and things like that, because at that point you're in this relationship with these people. But let me let me just let me just throw these three words out at you. And again, a lot of this is in this packet. What the, um, from the church side, what I what I encourage churches to think about are, are, are basically three Ps. They need to think about the profile, the package, and the process. They need to think about a profile for their church. Who are we? Uh, they need to have a, a good understanding of why this, this church exists and who this church is. Put together a great profile. A good committee is going, and we have samples of that in here. Good committees are going to put together a good history, good demographics, good understanding. Here's who we are as a church. Uh, I even tell churches to put information like what's a gallon of gas cost? What's a gallon of milk cost? How much is the average house? Uh, talk about schools. Give some community information. They're going to have that kind of packet together. Good, good profile of the church and a good profile of what they're expecting out of this job. 
yeah, really. So it's a, it's a double profile of the church and the candidate. And, and this is what we're expecting out of you. So here's a good idea of what we're looking for. Then, then they have to put together a package, there, and there's actually a, a sheet in here on how to put together a ministerial pay package. And, and there's that side of it. There's a pragmatic, practical, what are you going to pay, et cetera. And then they need to put together a process that takes them through how are we going to screen through these resumes, how long are we going to get them, how are we going to do these cuts, how are we going to get down to interviews, and then what are we going to do at the end with some kind of face-to-face weekend experience or something in view of a call, we often call it where you spend time with the, the church and you finally preach and they vote and that kind of stuff. And what's that process look like? Well, the candidate, if, if they do this well and they're communicating well through that whole process, then you're going to have a candidate who's much more at peace, has a good understanding before they even get to the interview because they've done, they've read what you've given them and then they've done this questionnaire. You already know that about them. So they know you're smart at that point. If you're not, if you come across as an idiot in the, in the questionnaire, you're not getting an interview. And so the interview is not the time to show off. The interview is the time to be humble and to be loving and, to, and to, to be a real human being that they think they can relate to and they're going to have a good experience hey, with. Let me throw in something there. And I would say another do is be really honest. Because if you get the job and you weren't really honest, oh, you're going to find out sooner or later. And in my case, uh, with this, and, and I won't do this on video, Doc, but in my case, one of the reasons that um, I turned all those churches down uh, while I was working here is simply because I didn't want to go relive some of my past. And, you know, because um, I, I had some serious failures between the time I left ministry and went out in the corporate world and then I felt called back into ministry. And just my wife and I decided we weren't hiding anything, you know, just didn't want to walk back through all that, you know, rubble again. Right. And so when I'm, I'm at First Baptist Church Rocky Mount, I'm their interim, and I'm preaching, um, and I'm leading their staff meetings, getting to know their guys. They came to me, and they said, would you prayerfully consider coming to be our pastor, to which I was very honored by that. And I said, thank you so much, but no, I'm so happy at the seminary. By the way, my wife still works at the seminary. Mm-hmm. She runs the court and the locker. Leanne, if y'all eat there, that's my bride. Um, I love this place. I love being here. The moment he called, I said, I'll do anything you want me to do. Um, I had no intentions. This is one of those stories. and I've heard them a million times, and I always thought they were a little goofy, but it actually happened to me, so it's not good. You know, mm. no longer think it's goofy. Experiential um, theology is only experiential when it happens to somebody yeah. else. <laughs> so they, they asked me to come, and I, I, I just said, I can't do it. You know, thank you so much. And they came back, and I turned them down again, and... And then one night on a Wednesday night service that I was, you know, over there just helping lead prayer meeting, and I was in the narthex of our of our sanctuary. Well, uh, where were you? The narthex. I just the, wanted to hear that again. Yeah. <laughs> How Angli- many of you have Anglicans ever heard of a, a narthex? The Anglicans designed it, sure so we call it the narthex. Yeah. What's, the, what's the difference between that and a foyer? Not much. How about a lobby? Can we throw a lobby? A gymnatorium. And so the head of the search committee, Brad, happens to walk in at the same time and so we just kind of duck off into what's known as the bridal room really yeah and he said listen why why aren't you willing to consider and and i don't know how to explain what happened other than i i ended up i ended up just breaking down emotionally uh, yeah. and i just wept and I, you know and I'd gotten close enough to Brad that it didn't embarrass me too much because we'd become friends over the year and a half and or almost year and a half. And just the wrestling, the tug 
of saying no and um you know and it ended up being the right thing to do so don't don't think for one moment that it's just a cut and dried sort of paint by the numbers mechanical process to go through the search i mean prayer matters study matters being existentially prepared to say yes i feel god's calling me to shepherd that group of people in that town it's not a job that's one of the ways it does differ from say other callings this is a this is as serious as it gets uh, one of the things that i would say that you also besides being honest when it finally got to the place that they're actually calling, I said, okay, I'll consider throwing my name back in a hat. And they got in. We got pretty deep into the interviewing process. I had, to, I had to just be really painfully honest about some failures in my life. And when I showed self-deprecation, you know, when I humbled myself, when they saw some real, I mean, raw honesty, not just, hey, I'm a sinner. I mean, raw honesty. Um, I thought, I absolutely was convinced they were going to kick me to the curb. And they said, no, you're just the kind of guy we yeah. need. Transparency is something. Bridal room. You know where I'm from, that's where you keep the saddles. I just thought I had to say that out loud. So um, so a couple of, a couple of points I'd, I'd, I'd make uh, as, we, as we think about some of these things. Um, Make sure that if you're on the search committee, uh, when you think about resumes, you think about these documents that people give you, and I want to talk about those for a second because they're funny these days. Um, one of the things you want to do is you want, don't want to just call their references. You want to ask their references for secondary references and even triple references. Because if somebody's dumb, and they are, people are dumb sometimes, and I've had this happen to where people actually put people on their resumes that won't give them a good reference. People put me on their resumes, and I won't give them a good reference sometimes. That's pretty dumb. But if you're dumb enough to put somebody on your resume and they don't give you a good reference, that's pretty dumb. And you need to warn your references that you're in this process. They need to know that they might get a call from these people. I'm on people's resumes. I don't even know I'm on them. And I get a call from somebody, and I'm like, he put me on his resume? I mean, I've literally said it because I'm not going to lie to people. And I've actually had to give people bad, people bad references. And, and that's not a very smart move. But ask the reference, who else can we talk to? Uh, to learn even more about them because you, there might be somebody who's not on the resume who'd be the great guy to talk to and, and prepare them. So in here are reference questionnaires, all these kinds of processes, questionnaires for the search team, questionnaires for you to ask the search team, lists of things for you to ask for, a, the way to put together a, a financial package because that's a, that's a big deal. But now let me start, talk about the money for a minute. Um, my personal opinion, and I'll clarify that, my personal opinion Make certain that your money discussions are toward the end of your discussions, not at the beginning of your discussions. Uh, and so the, there's nothing wrong with you at some point asking, how much are you going to pay me to do this? I mean, if they're not forthcoming in that, in their profiles, and they're not forthcoming in that, themselves in that, uh, and, and the word to the search committees is, is don't make somebody ask you that question. Have that information together. Have it typed up neatly. Have it all wrapped up in a nice form from, you know, kind of an HR kind of form and, and have that ready for them. Uh, it is because that way you don't – it's not awkward. I don't have to start to go, you know, my wife's going to kind of want to know what, we're, what you're going to pay me, you know, before it's over. But at some point, have the conversation. I have known guys who've gone to churches without ever asking and then found themselves 
in really dire straits. Speaking of finances, um, clearly you need to, as Doc said, save that towards the end. And usually, more times than not, they are going to bring that up. One thing I would ask that you're asking them in that process after they're interviewing you and they're going to say something to the effect, well, do you have any questions for us? Well, well, you, and Doc's going to provide you with recommended questions. One of the questions you clearly need to be wise enough to ask at some point, and again, respectfully, you need to know the financial condition of that church. Are you in a, are you in a stable place? Do you have a lot of debt service? Yeah. One, of the, one of the things I tell you to ask for is the budget. And, and not, just, not just this year's budget, but I want to see the last several years of financial records. Don't be afraid to ask these questions. Don't be afraid to get the information that you need, not just for your benefit, but for their benefit. And one of the things that I have to tell search committees, I show search committees the questions that I give candidates to ask them, because sometimes search committees are dumb, and they don't know the answers to the questions. And it's like, you need to know these questions up front, and you need to have these answers. search committee that, that was taking me through the process at, at First Baptist Church, Rocky my predecessor was there for 23 years. Uh, they hadn't had the need for a search committee in 23 years. They didn't know how to do it. And so they were getting advice. They were getting consultation right. from the state convention. And they were learning as they were going. Right. And they were honest and forthcoming about that. Yeah. It was refreshing. Yeah, it was. It, that is good. I, I mean, exactly. It's 23 years. Same deal with me right now with this church I'm working with. So don't, don't assume that they know what they're doing. Uh, but And so you work through this together, be loving toward one another, and work through this process. And communicate honestly with one another. Uh, talk to them about when can your spouse be a part of this process. Um, I think it's very important for these, these groups to meet your spouse and for, for that to be a part of the process at some point and whenever that's appropriate. And then, and then also, just let me just say this word. Some of the greatest lessons that I learned in these kinds of processes were not from churches where things went well, but from situations to where in the end I was not going to be asked to be their pastor. And it, it was kind of an awkward scenario. I learned a lot about myself um, because every time I have to answer a questionnaire, and I've gone through some search processes in some situations, I want to be careful I say this, I've, I've gone through some fairly extensive search processes with some large kind of scenarios to where you have to do more than just answer a questionnaire. You have to work out your, your doctrines of belief. You have to work on a biography. I mean, just, you have to write a book. And, and yet, when it's done, you know, that was good for me. It was good for me to articulate and to write down who I am. And so, so even if it doesn't work out, don't see that as a negative. See, man, thank you for that lesson. Thank you for this opportunity to learn more, because every time I go through one of these experiences, I'm going to be better prepared for the next experience, and I'm also going to learn lessons that I can keep in a file that I call search committees, and one day I can teach a bunch of seminary right. students That's how to right. do this. <laughs> you just said something I think is just surprisingly wise. From me. That's, That's the guy who talked about bridal rooms. Yeah, That's yeah, impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. Um, Getting your wife involved in the process, not just that she's willing to come alongside and, and push forward in this direction, but asking the church what their expectations, not only yeah. of what of what's your questions. ideal pastor, what is your expectations of the first That's lady, right. so to speak. That's on my list. For, for one of the things that, that I did with First Baptist Rocky Mount was, what are your expectations of Leanne? Because the, my predecessor and his wife, his wife, and they're still in our church, and that's unusual, too, and it's gone beautifully. That's very rare. Mm -hmm. it's He's a good guy, though. Good guy, good guy. He's been very supportive. 
um, even when he probably shouldn't have been. Um, my wife is nothing like his wife. Mm-hmm. His wife's upfront, teacher, gregarious. I'm, of course, I love my wife. I'm just saying. She's, and so I said, are you, hire, are you okay with hiring me, understanding that you're not hiring her? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're hiring me to come be your shepherd. She's not an upfront teacher type. She's, she's more of a behind-the-scenes She'll loan you her shoulder. She'll cry with you. She'll laugh with you. She'll stand with you through thick and thin. And I described my wife. But I wanted to make sure yeah, that up that. front that they understood who Leanne was so that they didn't put some weird yeah. expectation. And then Leanne, three years in, is going, I'm miserable here, and it's a yeah. disaster. Yeah, one of the things that I've said more than once, Allison's probably heard me say this in our office and other people who've worked for me here have said this. One of my greatest regrets, one of the things I mourned the most about leaving full-time local church ministry was that I took my wife out of local church in that position. My wife was the best pastor's wife I've ever met. And I mourned, and she and I still talk about this years later, I mourned the fact that I pulled her out of that pastor's wife position. I mean, there wasn't any question that God did this. I mean, I, I didn't do it. God did but. But that was one of the, my greatest regrets because she was so good at being a pastor's wife. And so that's something to think about in your own relationships, uh, whether you're being a pastor or you're being hired for staff position, male, female, however, whichever position that is, to think in terms of your spouse and how well they're going to fit in and be part of the chemistry. Churches, churches would hire me probably just to get Teresa, you know, frankly, because she's such an asset to the church. But, but uh, to, to, not, to not exclude her, because you're right, different personalities, and you don't want to set up your wife for failure. And, the, and you need to protect her, but you also need to make her a part of this process so that you can pray together, so that you can be aware together, and that she's not just totally in the dark about that. So as early as possible, frankly, I like to get her involved in the process and be a part of some of these interviews and, and to have these discussions. It may not have to be there for all of it or parts of it, but to, to be a part of that and, uh, and to certainly be honest about it. Look, our time's about gone. Okay. Thanks for doing this. Uh, and uh, we needed about five hours. And, uh, and your life experience is a lot. Let me, let me ask you this right before we go. It's a very practical question. How long should a resume be? Uh. <laughs> I got a couple of really strong opinions about resumes. Well, I'm scared to give you my well, no, answer now. There's no right or wrong. You just you know, um, accept what I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> bridal, yeah, too, too bridal, bridal Sorry, sorry, bridal sorry. That was a bridal um, You know, my resume, because in the golf industry, I, went, I was with three major companies, and and so my resume looked a little funny because it was really geared for corporate world right. except for the 10 years here, right? Uh, and so I, I streamlined it and just highlighted those years in corporate life, uh, early ministry years life. You know, the typical educational background, experience, age, family, focus on family. Um, you know, my resume was, I think my resume is three pages. Yeah. Yeah, be careful. And here, let me give you a couple words of advice. And we're going to try to put some resume templates into this packet. The problem we have is there are about 14,000 of them. And there's, there's not necessarily an agreed upon opinion on what a resume ought to look like. Let me tell you this about resumes. 89% of Southern Baptist churches run 250 or less. I'm going to say that again. 89% of Southern Baptist churches run 250 or less. So a lot of the times when you're dealing with Southern Baptist churches, you're going to be dealing with churches. And I'm not saying they're low-tech, not saying that they're not educated, wonderful people. But create a resume that's easy to photocopy. And, I mean, this is as pragmatic as I can get. Sometimes it comes on fancy colored paper with all kinds of fancy colors and fonts. 
And what's going to happen is, you know what's going to happen. They're going to take that resume and they're going to put it in the Xerox machine or they're going to print it off the computer and they're going to run copies of that dude. And you better have one that they can read and one they can see. Now, some churches, like what I'm working with now, they set up a Google account and everything's digital and everybody looks at it digitally and that's going to happen more and more and more. But don't assume that. So don't be so fancy and make sure your photographs, if you have them on there, are professionally done, nice photo. I mean, I don't mean like by necessarily in a studio, but I just mean you look sharp. Don't be goofy in your photographs that will not communicate well. Don't don't be looking off into the, you know, into the the lostness of the world. Be serious. <laughs> Smile. Display yourself well so they can see you uh, because that, they're just going to laugh at you. And, and, and watch your fonts. Make sure older people can read them because you may have some of those on the committee. And, and a good committee is made up of a cross-section of the congregation. They represent the congregation in age, tenure, membership tenure, gender. And that's a good committee because they'll represent across the board. So pay attention to that when you first start meeting these committees. If everybody on there is a senior adult, does that reflect the congregation? And that may be, and that may be who they are. But if not, then why aren't they represented more? Are you, do you just have a popularity contest of power brokers on a search committee who may not represent that congregation well? And so be, try to read your committee a little bit and begin to understand those things. So just some practical helps. A lot of stuff in the packet. Download that on the website. And uh, Dennis, thanks so much, man. You know, and uh, you know, next time I interview, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to just say bridal room as many times as I can. So that was good. Thanks, man. Good to have you with us. Good to have everybody here. Hey, check out the website. Check out some of the events that are coming up. We got all kind. We're getting ready to record some things coming up on uh, on Lord's Supper, baptism. Uh, Johnny Hunt's going to be here in the fall in 2015 on campus doing some things with the Timothy Barnabas Conference just for students. And so a lot of cool things coming from the center. Check it out. Thank you all so much for being with us.